evening, Dan. Um, it's still kind of afternoon here, but it's a gray, oh, rainy, cold Seattle here afternoon. Too. Yeah. So yeah, Mino, Mino, like we saw a lot. We saw a lot of the same stuff. I know this is going to be a banner episode of interaction. Yeah, I don't think there's anything I saw that you. Well, I I streamed something, so I can throw that in the mix that I'm pretty sure you haven't seen. And you saw a theatrical title that I'm going to see on Wednesday. Yeah, I don't want to give it. It's already spoiled for me. So, but there are so many other things I could spoil about true, that one. True. So maybe we will push that one off till next week. Oh sure. Okay, we have plenty to to do. You caught up on Motherless Brooklyn. Do you want to start there? Sure. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the experience. It certainly isn't in my top of the year. I felt a little confused about the adaptation when I was reading up on it that Alec Baldwin's character was created. He wasn't in the novel. Really? And boy, does he seem like a central foil <laughs> in right. this story. Um, and but also the, knowing that makes it even... I was already on the fence about that character and that just makes it like, oh no. Oh, it was unfortunate that Alec Baldwin was cast because he yes. is a great actor and he can sure. play that role. But now he's so known for comedy and I think of him as Jack Donaghy and now as Donald yeah. Trump, a character that the metaphor is so clearly pointing to right that it, it was kind of dumb and then to find out that he's not even a character in the novel mm, what did the novel do right and right. the novel is set in the 90s and so they reset it to the 50s oh, really? so that yeah <laughs> so that the noir elements could be a little bit more believable wow i just wonder if this wasn't the best way to adapt this property right and I Let's don't push it back forty years and throw Donald right, Trump in there. Right. So I think what was the story if they're not going against this mogul? There isn't much there. Well, it might just be the investigation then, I guess. But is the book in the format of a noir even? I'm not sure that it is. That I don't know. But for what this is, you know, because now this adaptation has been done and this movie has been made. I enjoyed watching it. I liked the cast members who were in it. Um, I enjoyed, um, why am I completely blanking on the very famous uh, lead actor's name? Edward Norton. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Edward Norton. <laughs> just like, it is exotic. I just, I'm like frantically searching Wikipedia, <laughs> realizing that I have the novel up and not the movie. And I'm like, why isn't oh. his name here? <laughs> Yeah, obviously, Edward Norton. And why does he have Tourette's? I mean, I guess that's in the book. And I wasn't annoyed as much by that as I expected to be. I yeah. thought I kind of liked his character. It didn't really have a lot to do, though, with the story. Couldn't he have right. been a savant in some other way? I had a thought partway through the movie that made me feel icky and i don't want to put it on the movie because maybe this is not even remotely true but i thought at one point is he mentally troubled so that he has a way to meet the uh, african-american community the oppressed marginalized community halfway that just occurred to me while watching it and i was like oh i don't know, I don't know if that's it i think they just wanted to make him flawed and interesting that idea that he, he and uh the young lady the love interest Gugum that they, yeah that just that idea that they could we could understand each other i was just kind of like ooh i didn't get what their chemistry was about because yeah. the the injustice that they set up was pretty believable 
and I'm sure that happened all over the place. Um, clearly, they're talking about Robert Moses here. I'm sure yeah. he did the exact same kinds of things. I was uh, so Ethan Supley as Gilbert. Remember, my name is Earl. Yes, I do. Yeah, I remember, I remember him, him as Randy show, yeah. on that show. Yes, yeah. and a bunch of Kevin Smith movies he was in as well. Yeah, and um, Dallas Roberts. I was so distracted by who is that, and he's in that show Insatiable that I've been watching for some reason, and I didn't mm. put that together till after. Um, Cherry Jones does uh, good work in her yeah. role. I I have I like Bruce Willis. I don't know why. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know why Willem Dafoe was in this. His no, character didn't strange. make a lot of sense to me. I thought, right. why isn't he doing for himself what he's calling Edward Norton to do? It's like yeah. he's like this little mystery gnome, revealer of secrets. But right. if he were really trying to work against his brother, why wouldn't he just do it? Why does he need Edward Norton to follow the breadcrumbs? Why can't he speak plainly? Right. There was no reason. Um, I like Leslie Mann's turn <laughs> mm-hmm. as the yeah. mafia wife. Yeah, I hope there would be more of her. That was... I wanted more of her too. Do you know what I mean though when I said, I think I said last week that everything was set up interestingly. It's got a great first act of just noir setups, but things that I hoped were misdirects were not. I felt like everything was like a straight bullseye on the target everything went where i thought it was going to go as regards you know who's got suspicious motives and who's related to who and what like it didn't have many surprises no there weren't any surprises and i uh what was the character's name laura rose uh i felt like her character was very interesting until she got mixed up with when once she got mixed up with lionel she was not interesting anymore it's like she was this firebrand activist, and then she just became a kind of femme fatale waiting for him to tell her she's okay. That felt disappointing. Yeah, and I didn't understand the truth of the conspiracy either. She seemed to be aware that something was up with her parentage, but it was the wrong thing. And right. then was it really what they said it was, or did someone just forge a document? And in Which that is case, another weird but- resonance with Joker. <laughs> I'm yeah, about all the weird exactly. Ways. Isn't that true? I didn't think about that. It's the, almost weird. the exact same crisis. Yeah, this is this movie is like a remix of Joker that has much better intentions. Yeah, I I mean I probably left Motherless Brooklyn feeling less depressed yeah. than I did yeah. Joker. Uh, it was a very I mean in a sense it was emotionally somewhat satisfying. I didn't feel like the mystery panned out, and that no. The business with um, with Alec Baldwin in the end, it just didn't feel like it didn't feel like it escalated. It felt like it was this. It was very static. There was one speech early on where he was just looking out his window alone, and he was thinking about when his mother used to comfort him and play with his hair. And then I feel like at the end of the movie, she's kind of she's not playing with his hair, but she's kind of rubbing his back, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I guess he got a mother figure. That's creepy. It, it was creepy. Yes, it felt like. It's good enough that I'm fascinated by it, and it's just so full of weird choices and strange storytelling. And and all I didn't know half of those adaptation changes that you were talking about. So a, a big swing of a movie, definitely uh, a big try. Yeah, can you imagine that story set in 1999 without <laughs> Alec Baldwin's character? No. I mean, that's like, about an must, hour shorter. Yeah. I mean, a book can get away with being more meandering and just being a guy basically researching stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think mm-hmm. something like like Mulholland Drive showed us that you can do a '90s noir. That's possible. Yeah. But for some reason, we threw it back into the '50s, which changes all the racial dynamics. Right. Not that we've yeah. solved racism and white supremacy by the '90s. Right. It's not the same though as what was going on in the '50s. And was he talking about Trump? Is this a is this a statement on the current state of politics? I mean, it feels at certain moments, just in the casting of Alec Baldwin and some of the dialogue, he says, I moved on her in one, right. at one point. That, that exact he at line. He had one other line that was exactly a Trumpism. And I was like, well, that's just too, too thick. Do we need that? Is that helpful? And what is the audience to understand that to mean if he, right. is, if he is Trump? Has right, Trump really the, built the all this thing, stuff? The other thing about that character is that he's a brilliant genius and the, the, there's a conundrum with him that I don't think exists with Donald Trump. This The character in the movie is like, um, he's brilliant and he's done so much and he's built so much, but he doesn't, he, he does, you know, he's racist and he doesn't care about people. I don't, the first part of that equation is not there for Donald Trump. He's just a self-promoting fake billionaire who is also racist and harms people. So it was a weird mixed messaging there if it was supposed to be a, a you know, a movie for our moment. It seemed clear that it was to me, particularly yeah. with the casting and with those lines. I just didn't know what any of it meant. So yeah, this was pedigreed to be one of like the big awards bait movies of the year just mm. by way of what it was. And clearly it's not going to be that. I'd yeah. be surprised if it is anywhere in the conversation for anything. Uh, I think the only actor we didn't mention is uh, Bobby Cannavale. Is that his name? And um, Yeah, it is. I liked him. I thought he was convincing. I like him, he, but he played the character he plays. Yeah. And he's good. He's serviceable at doing that. But he, that was one of the things I mean when I, I knew where that, where that was going from his first scene. And, yep, it went right where I thought it was going to go. Oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing surprising. It's, it, I can see Edward Norton saying, I want to make a big noir. I want to do that, and I want to play a weird, flawed character. Um and again, I, lo- I like the fact that this character is kind of empathetic and sensitive, which is a real inversion of the usual noir antihero. But I, all those decisions in choosing this story and this adaptation and this presentation, it's kind of flummoxing. I- I'm glad I saw it, but it is a very right. perplexing movie. I thought he did well as a director. I thought his cinematographer was good. Yeah, I think yeah. it could use maybe a little more editing, but there was so much plot. I didn't even understand the plot that was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like that dense plotting, it either has to be big sleep style, it has to be so dense that you just kind of give yourself over to it and go, you know, you switch over to feelings. But I feel like this movie felt like it could be followed. And and so much of the, the you know, him posing as a reporter and discovering this and this photo and this revelation, it was just, it it acted like it was constantly full of revelations that I didn't think were much uh, revelations at all. I think LA confidential is the only movie that for me was able to tell a really thick story in a way that made sense to me. And it's Mm -hmm. also noiry. Usually I get totally lost in these stories and that happened for me on this. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, there's that one. Did you, uh, as far as I know, we both saw pain and glory and Ford V Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Um, And you saw something else. So where do we go next? Well, so we're saving last Christmas for next yeah, sure. week. Um, I streamed The King like a week ago and forgot about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I want to talk about it just briefly because I liked it way more than I expected. Usually mm. that sort of thing wouldn't be my my jam at all. Um, but of course it has Timothy Chalamet um, in yeah. this. And right. it actually made, and Robert Pattinson in a really fun supporting turn. And there's the violence and the big battle scenes, and that's kind of impressive from a filmmaking standpoint. But it had a little something to say too about the nature of authority and rule and alliances and who you ultimately can trust and throw your hat in. And I really, I really enjoyed that movie. So if you want something kind of in the background or have yeah. a free evening, I would totally recommend it on Netflix. I wish it was in the movies. I'd be much more likely to oh, see yeah. it. It's very hard for me to block out two and a half hours at home to sit and watch something, but uh, it is on my list. And it's pretty epic too. The battle yeah. sequences, especially you sort of wish were on a big screen. You're thinking right. they went to all this time and expense and artistry and it's just kind of left on Netflix. Netflix has too many good releases this year that they can't get behind this one. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm sometimes wonder at the appeal of like, serious big filmmakers to have their stuff on netflix and i guess it's just access the idea that everybody's yeah. just going to have their movie show up one day it's the only way to get your movie made netflix will pay yeah. and do your movie and mm -hmm. regular studios won't well i'm going to check that one out for sure all right are the other two the ones we've both seen yes and i did i also streamed something but should I get that out of the way or save that for? Um, why don't you? I wouldn't think of it as getting it out of the way. <laughs> right. I, I I listen with great eagerness. Well, I saw a delightful it. movie, so it's not it's not a, a really dismissible thing. It is it's a movie that people speak so highly of, and for years and years and years and years, I've just I've heard people esteem this movie, and it's been on my list. And I finally streamed Local Hero. Hmm. I don't know what that which is. Is a 1983 film directed by Bill Forsyth. It is a Scottish made film. Um, but it stars an American, Peter Rygert, who you would recognize. We recognize him on this podcast from Traffic. He was uh, Adelson. He was a lawyer. Hmm. Anyway, um, it is the story of a fresh-faced uh, young executive from an oil company in America who goes to a small hamlet in Scotland to uh, basically announce that their, their intention to buy the town. It's a little seaside town in Scotland, and they want to buy it and build a refinery there. And that kind of seems like a, so, you know, I, I feel like if that movie was made today, you'd know exactly what was coming. And this movie manages to, in large part, defy those kind of expectations. It's a very sweet and weird and understated movie. It's a comedy. It's not a wacky comedy. Um, it's a personality character comedy. It has a young uh, Peter Capaldi, who you'd know from uh, Iannucci movies like uh, In the Loop and from the show In the Thick of It. He was doctor who a couple doctor who's ago um you'd recognize him if you saw him probably it's just a very uh it's the kind of movie you want to see it's got people and places that you would like to spend more time with after the movie's over um it's very human and funny and weird and odd and i can't recommend it highly enough well maybe i will watch it that's all i can ask for dan <laughs> I do look for random recommendations because there's so much choice. And I think, well, there's 7,000 movies available to me tonight, so I'll probably not watch any of them. Right. Yeah. I'm very paralyzed by streaming options. Got Disney Plus, and now it's like oh, no. exploded. It's even worse. Right. 
I just want people to tell me what to watch. Right. I feel like Netflix is doing it, but then the movie doesn't come out for three months. Right. And by the time you see it, it's old news for everyone that they let see it, you know, 7,000 months yeah, right. ago. Film Twitter and podcasts right. and all that. Yeah. I mean, I'm close enough to the city that I could, I, I, if I wanted to, I could see The Irishman in a theater. I just, I'm busy and tired and cranky. You're two of those things. <laughs> busy sometimes. All right. Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory. Who Should wants I talk to about describe Pain and Glory? Um, I'll do that one. All right. So it's a 2019 Spanish drama film written by Pedro Almodovar. I have so much try. I stumble over his name each time. I'm unpracticed. Almodovar, because it's got Almodovar. that accent on the second Thank o, you. you did Almod- fine. You did the... No, I was just trying to get all the letters out because I'm like, right. Almodovar. Thank you. That stars Antonio Banderas. And to me, it's semi-autobiographical, but who knows how much of it is totally true. But it's about this guy who is a film director who has made some films of note in the past, and he is currently dealing with a lot of physical pain and um, emotional disorders, some anxiety and panic that kind of prevents him from full participation in the world. And because they're going to be screening one of his old movies, he needs to meet up with the star of that movie with whom he'd been estranged since um, criticizing his performance all these years ago. And that person is Asier Exteandia. How about that? Excellent. Yes. And the two kind of rekindle a friendship that is now centered on heroin use. Banderas is trying heroin for the first time, and it's sort of relieving his pain. And these goings-on are cut back and forth with memories from his childhood. Um, The young boy's mother is played by Penelope Cruz, and I thought just a lovely performance, um, watching the humble beginnings and how he came to understand himself as a gay person and he reconnects with a former love. And I loved how that was handled um, that they're so happy to see one another and yet they let their story stay in the past. Um, the movie is very colorful. It has a lot of style. I really enjoyed sitting through the couple hours of running time. What'd you think? Yeah, no, um, here, here. I really uh, had a, a beautiful time watching this movie. And I love the fact that, I, you know, as, as I understand it, it's intensely autobiographical and yet not like specifically. So everything in, you know, those aren't his real films. It's not his real mm-hmm. experience, but it's it's everything. It's a version of what his, his life experience has been. And I like the fact that despite it being about, you know, starting with him in a place of, of real suffering, and it does a very entertaining job explaining what his conditions are and what has led him to this mm-hmm. place. Um, that it still manages to be a very affirming and lovely movie. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking in moments, but it um, it could have been a lot more navel gazy or a lot more bleak. And I just love how full of life it is. And I really love the themes of of art. Um, how like putting, you know, authentic, personal, honest art out into the world can kind of come back at you and create opportunities for connection 
and memory and closure and all those kind of things. And I just thought it was lovely how he kind of, you know, he just kind of drifts in and out of these memories and these re- reunions and memories of his mother and uh, all leading up to, you know, one of the, the, I won't spoil stuff, but one of the running issues is his pain and his uh, pain management is so intense and problematic that he can't really work. He can write a little bit, but he can't make films. And then the way that he finds catharsis in the end. And yeah, I thought it was a really, um, I didn't know that I would see two international movies this year that would be like vying for the top of the, of the list. Like it was, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I see that he won in 2000 for all about my mother. And that would have been the Oscar Mm. party (laughs) at Mm -hmm. your house. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I feel like that title completely slipped slipped by me anyway. Well, maybe that was the year before. No, yours would have been 2001. I'm yeah. wrong. But we would have been celebrating still a year later. Right. <laughs> the big This win. makes me want to watch uh, Almodovar films. Yeah, I remember I saw All About My Mother back in the day. I don't remember too much about it. But I've seen a couple of his films and I always go away thinking, yeah, I like that. I, I really liked gayness and maturity too where that isn't the center of the story but it is part of who he is yeah and you don't get to see that that often in a way that seems very authentic and it sure did here yeah it was so that was very sweet that whole sequence i don't know i like the way that the character is he's obviously reckless and willing to to try things to alleviate his pain but he's also got a wisdom to him and a a world weariness and a really great performance from antonio banderas Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought he did great work. And without spoiling what you discover at the end, I think that that puts a whole other lens over his performance, that it makes Mm -hmm. me wonder um, what I'm supposed to have been watching. Yeah, and typically there are thought patterns when you watch a movie that when when it flashed to the scenes of him with his mother in her last days, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, she doesn't look like Penelope Cruz. Right. But... She's an elderly woman, so people don't always look the same when they're very old. They sometimes but that look casts, differently. And, yeah. Yes, it casts so a different... Very, right. Yeah. It's a it's a big gambit to try and have a final shot that changes everything you just saw and have mm-hmm. it not be a dumb gimmick. Right. Yeah, it was earned, and I felt it opened up what I had just seen mm-hmm. and made me see everything in a new way without undermining what I'd seen. All right, uh, so I let in the gay one. You can lead in the straight okay. one. <laughs> The car movie. <laughs> we both saw Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari, but it's not VS, so it's just the letter V. So I feel like it's yeah. meant to be said Ford v. Ferrari, but everybody's getting pedantic about it. But to be super pedantic, this film is being released everywhere else in the world as Le Mans 66. Mm. But people in America don't know what that is. <laughs> those words is. So we get Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, but what a fun and intense and interesting movie um, directed by James Mangold, starring Christian Bale uh, and Matt Damon as driver uh, Ken Miles and uh, car designer uh, Carol Shelby. It's a real story of when the Ford Corporation decided to enter the world of international racing and take on Ferrari specifically. A bit of a grudge because they had offered to buy Ferrari and Ferrari had kind of jerked them around and used them as a uh, as a kind of negotiating tool with another company. And so uh, but what I like is that ultimately this movie's not really about 
Ford v Ferrari, although there's plenty of goofy caricatured anti-Italian sentiment, which the audience in my theater was eating up. They hated them, dumb Italians. <laughs> but uh, really, the movie becomes about uh, the corporate interests at Ford versus the creative team run by Shelby and Miles and how, you know, these are two guys who are, are brilliant and committed, but um, a little rough around the edges and uh, makes Ford very nervous and they don't always trust them. And it's just, it's one of those movies. I felt like it was a very Spielberg movie in the sense of being very entertaining and very simplified version of a historical event that just goes in and shows you then this happened. Then there was, they only have one problem at a time and then they solve that problem and then they have another problem. But the performances are excellent and charming. It's fast and whippy and, and smart. And it took something that I'm not particularly interested in. I'm not a car or a racing guy, um, but it made it very exciting. It made it kind of crackle. Uh, the cast is is a lot of fun. Tracy Lett as Henry Ford II gets special mention. I liked it a lot. Dan, did you like it? I liked it a lot, too. I expected to like it just because of all the great stuff I'd been reading about it, that it really transcends just being a car movie, and it, certainly it did. I liked the racing sequences. I thought it was really exciting and fun to watch. I liked the performances. Um, I agree, Tracy Letts is MVP here. I think that yeah. no one should be um, underestimating this movie at Oscar time. To me, this is exactly the kind of movie old world academy members love and we'll put at the top of their ballots um totally a part of the conversation and rightfully mm -hmm. so um and it's like a full length adult movie like how movies used to be back mm -hmm. in the day this would be like the regular studio release oscar Beatty movie from the late 90s early 2000s and they just make so few of them every year that studios are just kind of putting all of their eggs in one basket anymore so that instead of getting one of these a week, we're getting one a year, you know, of th this way. And right. so everyone's just kind of devouring it. A plus cinema score. It made, it's making a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really enjoyed going to it. I, I won't think, Oh, this is one of my favorite movies of the year that I'll remember for a decade, but it was a really good time. And it's a movie that, uh, snobby pants, film Twitter people, and kind of like popcorn, let's go to the movies and see that Matt Damon car movie people. They can all have a great time. It is yeah. legitimately entertaining. It's a movie for the masses that is also very excellent. Wide appeal. I was glad to have read, or I think I listened on a podcast, to hear some of the history of the story going in. Because I think mm -hmm. if I wouldn't have known what happened, I would have been so disappointed and depressed yeah. at yeah. the ending. Right. Um. So I was glad to, to know what actually yeah, happened. I, I, I didn't know. So I actually was. That's a kind of a reason that I came away a little bit grumpy, even though I loved it. But I felt like th there's two things at the end. There's the outcome of the big race, which is complicated. Uh, that didn't bother me, but it was just like, oh, wow. But then the ending ending, Um. you know, it's a historical story. So things happen that have to happen. But I felt like it was so. Uh, such a kind of a, a rug pull at the last moment that I, the movie being the way it is. Um, I mean, it's gotta be pretty easy to guess what I'm talking about, but, and there is also a detail of the, the son, the, the kid, uh, Noah Jupe, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. And he is, uh, plays a uh, young Shia LaBeouf ish character in honey boy also. Oh, um, yeah. Um, 
he there's a thread with him in this movie in Ford v Ferrari where he becomes obsessively worried about something uh, regarding his what his dad does and and that became really heartbreaking yeah to me uh, in a way that I didn't realize it was going to that's not a knock against the movie the movie's telling a specific mm-hmm. story and uh, I, re- I really really liked it yeah I wondered afterward since um I don't think it's spoiling to say that uh, Ken Miles died in a car crash. <laughs> yeah. That that was what, what happened. Dancing around. Right. Right. Um, what if the movie hadn't handled that and it would have ended early and that would have been part of the, like a epilogue title card. Right. Because it, it didn't feel like a tack on necessarily, but since the main dramatic trajectory of the story was leading up to the Le Mans 66, right? Once that is completed and the two of them and Damon and Bale kind of walk away shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been an ending right there. Right. And not done the thing with Matt Damon returning to speak with the son, not having the sequence where, you know, he, he dies, but we don't know the circumstance really it's just kind of like a, oh we were testing this with their car and then he dies um it wasn't right. part of the narrative trajectory i could have imagined probably hard like though it. for the filmmakers to resist the idea of an emotional epilogue right that gives it a, that kind of gravitas you know right um but also though so i guess if we're getting into to specifics i guess skip this go go retroactively back in time and skip this part if you don't want spoilers right. for ford v ferrari but uh, again, this is all based on history. You can just read on Wikipedia. It's probably all in the same paragraph. The Le Mans ending, the the race ending, is different than what really happened. Oh, is it? Uh, they simplify. It's only a little bit different, but there's an iconic photo. Uh, really, it was just Ken Miles. You know, he slows down and lets the other drivers catch up so mm-hmm. Ford can go over. But he only waited for Brian McLaren, and mm-hmm. so the real ending is Brian McLaren crossing the finish line with miles right next to him and the other cars in the back and oh. that's like a famous photo but in the movie they're all nose to nose finishing at the same time and it's like well you change that i wonder why they which, did that yeah and then they feel slavishly like they have to include this heavy ending but yeah i i i, I get that ending stuff i don't know why they changed the race i don't know why you'd simplify something that much at that point i could right. have handled a little more nuance but these are nitpicks of course right yeah, it's it's a really really good movie, one of the best of the year, I think. Funny how uh, just based on trailers and marketing and early early buzz, there's so many other movies that looked more prestigious. Oh yeah, Goldfinch and and Motherless Brooklyn or whatever that came out and were not always not always bad, but complicated and, and not exactly what they were promising to be. And I would have seen this and thought, oh great, a, a racing movie with uh, Matt Damon, but it's excellent. Yuppers. All right. I think we covered everything. Um, we're going to be really late on last Christmas by the time we talk about right. it, but it, it has to be talked about. Right. I know that uh, not even having seen it yet, but uh, all right, Dan, I think that's, I think that's what we've got. I'm, I got to say two things. On the one hand, I am very much enjoying the single segment podcast. It's so much easier for me to, to edit and it has made my life easier. On the other hand, I do miss doing deep dives. So I think maybe we'll need to do one soon. Uh, maybe some, you know, sometime before the end of the year, we should each pick a, a sure. movie to do a dive on. But we'll we'll think about that. Okay, I'll think about mine. You think uh, about yours. All right. Cool. Uh, all right, I think that's been our podcast. Awesome. <clears throat> and I think we are Dan and Josh. I think you can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. The show is at Holds Up Pod uh, on Twitter, and our music, of course, is by Jonah Rapino. 
And uh, thanks so much for listening. We're going to see some more movies and come back and chat them up. Thanks. See ya. Bye. We could just take the week off and call it a holiday, although we didn't warn our three listeners about that. All right. Well, um, you could uh, can, you could say that right now and then put it in the right place. Oh, that's right. This could be the tag where people find out. Right.